Welcome back, friends. I am so excited to bring you a really special guest this week. You know, I get relatively regular requests from people wanting to be invited as a guest on my podcast, and I read every single one of them, and I am very judicious about who I bring on here because I want it to be of extreme value to you as the audience. And so I would say the vast majority of the requests I don't end up taking on, but when Jacques reached out to me, I couldn't help but want to know more. There was an energy about the email, which for those of you who are sort of into or observant of energies, I think you'll understand that. It's hard to explain, but he just was different and in a good way. And so I said, yes, I said, yeah, let's talk before the episode because I want to learn more. And I was even more convinced after I spoke with him before the podcast interview. So I'm really excited to bring this to you. Jacques Martiquet is a corporate event strategist who helps human-centered workplaces design shared experiences that create a lasting difference in mental health, psychological safety, and belonging. Since 2017, Jacques has been earning his title as the party scientist by leading thousands of dance parties and shared experiences across 15 countries and for companies like Accenture, Lush, and Lululemon. Jack is on a public health mission to transform how the West socializes from alcohol and shows to human connection and fun. Everything he does is informed by one belief. Human connection is the elixir of life. This interview took on sort of a life of its own and goes well beyond the party scene. I promise. I know you'll find extreme value here. Here's my interview with Jacques. All right. I am so excited to be here with my new friend from an area of the world that I love, <laughs> Pacific mm. Northwest into BC. So Vancouver is like one of my favorite cities. So I'm here with Jacques Martiquet, and I think I got that right. We, we practiced a little bit beforehand. But he'll, <laughs> he'll say it better, I'm sure. Thank you so much for being here, Jacques. Oh, it's wonderful to be here with someone who shares, yeah, this, this, this belief that, you know, we can get the most out of life when, uh, when our bodies are fully regulated and when we take care of our, our minds and yeah, I'm so excited to, to explore our philosophies together. Really cool. I'm so happy that we have connected virtually and hopefully eventually in person. So for now, we will share all of your amazing insights and the world that you live in and the work that you do with our guests and audience. But first, I want to ask what I always ask, which is what does true wellness mean to you? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the word natural, natural comes to mind um, natural ways of living and my answer has really been informed by my research on uh, centenarian villages and there's this wonderful book claudia i actually have 10 copies of it i gift it to my friends and i call it the, i call it my manifesto and it's called healthy at 100 and it describes these villages of, of indigenous communities. 
and it describes this deep social connectedness, this relationship to the land. People are outside, gardening, walking. They're celebrating birth together. They're celebrating death and experiencing the sorrow of death communally. They're sharing meals. Um, they're not in a city on concrete, you know, being exposed to noise and, you know, EMF frequencies. And so when I think of true wellness, I think of, I think of simplification and not so much all this tech, right? Like, you know, the whole biohacking movement, as much as I'm a biohacker, it's so like tech and it's, it's complicated. And what I really advocate for is this simple life where we're, we're in nature, we're experiencing downtime. And most importantly, we have a community of people where we participate regularly in some form of shared ritual and, and joy and dance and song. I love that. Do you Definitely. disagree at all? No, zero, <laughs> zero disagreement. I don't think there'll be anything I'm disagreeing with you after our initial conversation. Um, but I mean, if there is, I'm also up for a conversation around that. I have spoken many times on this podcast in a variety of ways about how much of what we are experiencing in society is a return, a return to a more simple, or at least that's what we are being shown is the, the better way, the happier way, the way to back to our roots. And so I love that you just shared that because I, I think that's where we're all headed. You know, it's like, we all just ran for complicated and tech and in the healthcare world, which is a lot of what I speak about. We just, I mean, we just pride ourselves on making everything as complicated as possible and that's not helpful for anybody. So I, I love it. I love it. I love well, the answer. Yeah. First of all, for everyone listening, we both have a background in like drug development and kind of more of the reactive healthcare system. And I was actually uh, becoming a doctor and by studying medicine, it turned me off from conventional medicine. But yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy how there's like these simple practices. It doesn't require a drug that took 10 years of research. Like it doesn't require this sophisticated technology, like wearing, you know, barefoot and walking in the forest is a natural antidepressant, you know? And like, we, we, we have all these advanced technologies, like, Hey, here's an app that's going to help you measure all your health metrics. And it's like, you know, probably just like going for a walk and moving your body instead of sitting all day, slouching over your phone, right? Like that would be a much better treatment strategy. And it's these simple practices, like don't eat, move your body, prioritize sleep. And yet in this culture of the quick fix, we have all these tools that, that a lot of people who describe themselves as like holistic medical practitioners, like they're overcomplicating people's wellness strategies. And I, I'm, I'm a huge advocate for more of these natural practices, right? Yeah. I also love how you like drop these like amazing insights and then you just stop. Like, I just, I don't, I just love it. I love it. You're just like, and that's it. Like, it's like mic drop. Um, so I fully agree. And I think it's 
mildly hilarious, but very telling of the times we live in that we are now naming things like forest bathing as you know, like yeah. our ancestors would just be, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Like we didn't, you know, why do you have to call it something fancy now? So in any case, you and I could go, you, you and I could go on and on forever, but I do love that you brought up part of your background, which is studying pharmacology, which is such an interesting, we have like these interesting little tidbits of connections of parallel lives here. So you've got, you know, the Vancouver, which I love and used to live near there. And, um, and this background in pharmacology, which based on what you do now would, would be seemingly confusing, although it's really very amazing how it led to that. So can you take us just a little bit backwards for a minute, and then we'll go forward relatively quickly, but you know, what, what was that all about and how did it lead to what the, what it is that you're doing now? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, immediately what comes to mind is I, I just visualize my myself with all these aspiring doctors and PhDs and researchers who were who were my uh, colleagues in the basement of the pharmacology building being lectured by like 70 year old men who've devoted their lives to medical research. And yeah, I mean, my life during university was long hours in labs uh, administering drugs to certain tissues and analyzing the effects. Um, but I'll share one specific memory that really alarmed me and 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 it was one factor in pushing me toward you know this this practice of this this hope that, some forms of human connection will eventually be prescribed and regarded as the most effective prescriptions for preventing so many illnesses, especially mental illnesses. Um, I remember sitting in my seat in a lecture that looked at um, all the how, how the pharmaceutical industry has corrupted the research. And I think this is a huge problem in defining wellness and finding the real truths is that there are there are corporations that skew the science and so one approach that i now take is i am much more skeptical and uh, nitty-gritty when it comes to looking at scientific literature because i know that it's it's very scary the extent to which corporations skew the research and so i learned that in my pharmacology lectures and i was like wow what like this many people are prescribed antidepressants and their pharmacology doesn't make sense and they're hardly effective that's insane and scary and i don't want to participate in that but really uh really what what led me on this path of becoming the human connection guy and advocating for social connectedness and advocating for training our relational skills so that we can maximize the health benefits from human connection. It was people in my life who encouraged me to throw parties. <laughs> and those people uh, led me to throw many parties where I advocated sober partying. And I created these experiences where people flooded their body with natural antidepressants and, and these terrifically healthy experiences where I was high on life. 
and witnessing the the exhilaration I created and everyone around me, I was like, this this is what we're missing from culture. Like this is the most stress reducing activity on earth. Like I have to change how humans gather and socialize and celebrate. And I need to make a health practice out of this corporate corrupted socialization, uh, you know, practice. So now I'm on this path of really advocating for different forms of socialization. And I have my own method called vibing. And I really want to give people who host gatherings, the tools to really create special, vulnerable and exhilarating experiences with the people that they gather. I love it. And vibing is V-Y-V. I'm, I'm always like a visual word person. So um, it's also just a really cool spelling. So I wanted to make sure everybody yeah. knows that. So just so fascinating to me how you went from just sort of like the depths of science to also the depths of science. You're, there's scientific background to what you're doing, but it's in, in such a more practical, less capitalistic societal way. Uh, it's like bringing together what you've learned from the book that you are gifting to everybody, where it's like, can we go back to the more simple way of connecting with other humans? And can we bring that to modern society and make it fun and make it not weird? Because, you know, maybe, maybe if we were to go back in time, that would feel weird to us, but you, but you put it in a modern encapsulation with similar benefits to what maybe those indigenous tribes felt and saw. And so can you, can you bring us through some of the, some of the, not just logistics of it, like how you do it, but what is felt, what, what's happening, you know, what, what's happening with our touch and our feel and, and how, how are you shifting the way these, these parties are run? Yeah, certainly. And, you know, it's ironic that I'm known as the party scientist. Really, I don't throw parties. I design communal experiences. Um, and I, I design them based on neuroscience. Like really what I'm trying to do when I'm leading an experience is I'm trying to maximize the positive social contact and positive emotional exchange. So when we attend an event, you know, there, there are certain ways that we can exchange positive emotions and celebrate one another. And it turns out when we have more eye contact, when we touch each other more, when we sing in synchrony, when we move in synchrony, and when we are all having a shared moment together where we're all doing that, all of that creates this incredible peak of not only uh, safety, so like safety meaning the dissolution of these masks that we wear, the dissolution of self-consciousness, the dissolution of the fear, this group is going to abandon me. Not only that, but it creates just this peak of positive emotions. And like, I'm not a positivity thinker. I embrace the shadow and I'm a stoic. So I embrace negative emotions as a way to live a better life and live more peacefully. But positive emotions are incredibly healthy. 
and they reduce our stress, they promote creative thinking, they promote social bonding. And so when I am designing an experience, I'm really thinking about positive emotions and I'm thinking about the processes, the, the relational processes that unlock positive emotions. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that you're coming at it from a, like a, a depth of knowledge, even though I don't feel like we need that to make changes, positive change in our world. And I actually speak a lot about that on my own social media channels is like, yeah. we don't need this, you know, evidence-based everything, but I do think that it opens the door for you to a society that is so entrenched in that to be able to open these conversations. Like I'm not just making this up there there is a, you know, endless amount of literature that supports the fact that the, the dangers to our public and personal health of loneliness and isolation and um, how that then leads into depression and anxiety. And so there's a basis to it that, that speaks to society. And then you take it to a level that's, that goes so much like go back, goes back to our ancestors. So I just, I love the marrying of those two. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I want to emphasize something you're saying. Like when we think of human behavior change and motivation, logic doesn't help that much. Like logic and rationality, it's much weaker than these other forms of motivation, like identity motivation and intrinsic motivation. And so, you know, what, what really matters is in, 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 in spreading health behaviors is not, oh, like positive emotions have been shown by meta-analyses to do this and this and this and singing evokes the endorphins in the brain, which is a social bonding neurotransmitter. It's like, no, like people need to have this experience where they feel the most accepted and celebrated they've ever felt in their lives. And the unfortunate truth is, though, that I've led these experiences for, for like thousands of people and they, they have an incredible experience, but it's not that they like start prioritizing having those experiences after they've had this like peak experience, peak shared experience. And, and so what I'm getting at is we can have an experience and then we can just forget to implement it in our lives. And ultimately, it is the social and physical environment that acts as the fertile soil for for a new behavior to form. And so when people attend my parties and they've never felt, they've never had a shared experience where everyone's coming together and moving in synchrony and laughing and singing uh, unfortunately, how society is designed is there's just no one else is doing that. So like, how are they going to have that experience again? Um, and so it's really hard to to change behavior when uh, there's just no real opportunities to socialize in this way that that I'm advocating for. Mm-hmm. That was absolutely yeah. on my mind as far as how do we continue the conversation and behavior change past these events. And this is true of, you know, spiritual events. I mean, this is true of many different types of events, um, including what you're running, you know, this sort of communal tribal type of collective, a sense of collective. I feel like I'm visually seeing, you know, 
people at work sort of rowing their own individual boats across an ocean, you know, like feeling very isolated and every, every man and human for him or herself. Right. Versus when you come in, we're all just going to get out of our boat and we're just going to have fun together. And how often are we doing that? We're not doing that because we're taught in at least our society. I'm sure there are other societies that still take a very much, you know, a communal approach, but in our society, it's, it's, we're, you know, we're all just climbing our own ladders. That's what we're taught to do since kids. And, and we're, and it's like, sorry, if I step on your hand as I go up the ladder, but this is just what it is. And how do we get back to a collective and how do we do that after your event? So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good conversation. Yeah. 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 I, I love this kind of analogy of the ladder that you use. This language of getting ahead is very popular in our culture and it's very like it basically there's personal success and then there's community success and in western culture in north america we define success based on personal achievement and personal wealth accumulation versus in other cultures there's no such thing as like oh i own this much and i have these achievements it's like no like what has the community accomplished what has the company accomplished there's this like dissolution of the ego into the whole and yeah there's huge shadows to that like groupthink and and uh ethnocentrism right um but but you know i want to go back to what you were saying about you know we we have these retreat experiences and then we we don't really prioritize a behavior change or a new habit and i wanted to ask you i i kind of want to get i, I want to answer this question both of us like what health behavior do you like if you could only do one like if you had some event happen in your life where you had no time and you could only prioritize one health behavior like what would that health behavior be like say you you had well yeah like out of all the different you know habits that you have or practices what would you prioritize and first let me say uh jacques asked me if he could ask me questions and i said absolutely not i'm kidding i said of course (laughs) you could ask me questions that would be fantastic we'll just have a back and forth um yeah i think this is a fantastic question uh, and i love the depth of your of your thinking and and where you're heading with this, I would say without even like, I, it just immediately came to me and that would be meditation because meditation informs everything else. So if I were to say other things that I think are very important, which are making sure I have a, you know, plant forward diet and getting enough water, um, all of the, there's so many, there's so many tangible things that I could say that I think are important, but I think when we tap into our inner wisdom and we're guided by that and informed by that, those things just become naturally what we, what we do. Those are the decisions that we make and the behaviors that we choose because we're informed by, um, a more solid in tune aligned source. So meditation by far would be my answer. What would yours be? Yeah. Meditation enables us to to do everything else with more grace and more willpower and i'm a huge advocate for meditation because the state of our nervous system when we're around other people that really determines how deeply we can connect with the people around us um so i 
I have really thought about this and I've realized that I'm, I'm sort of a hypocrite in that I advocate for these really intense forms of human connection, but I don't prioritize them. And the question that I've been asking myself is like, does my routine at the gym or does my sleep hacking practice or does my meditation practice, is it as effective as like having a, a shared peak experience as a health habit, like going and sweating with a bunch of humans and like singing and dancing and reaching this ecstasis. And so like, I wish I could say that I prioritize these shared peak experiences where my whole body is just flooded with positive neurotransmitters. Um, but I don't prioritize it because it's there's no place to do it. And I guess the reason why I ask this question is I think that in our culture, we really focus on like these individual health practices that are really important. And what I see is missing is like, where is the intentional human connection that that is such a powerful health practice yet we just see it as like oh it's just like organic human connection you know and so back to what you were saying about you know um we were talking about individual success per personal success and community success i think how we define wellness there's this mentality of like oh, we really need to work on ourselves before we go out into the world and be in community. And I think that's a symptom of the same individualistic mindset we have in the West, that we have to do everything alone and that our success is who we are and our achievements. And I wonder if translating wellness into more of like a communal activity would be useful Um for for all of us in our in our path to optimizing. Yeah. I could not agree more. I think that I'm trying to think through all of the times that I've um had interviews on here where I can see that that is becoming a larger priority and be and and becoming a, a more significant part of where we're seeing wellness going. Uh, I interviewed a, a physician who actually started a walk with a doc program where he's actually like walking with his patients rather than telling them go walk and come back and tell me, you know, like log it on your super fancy device and come yeah. back and show me the log and whatever. Um, he's walking with them and there, there's a group of them walking and he's like, I, we don't need to go do CrossFit or we don't need to go do, you know, <laughs> anything excessively you know, inflammatory producing, because that's what society says is more beneficial. All we literally did is walk, but because they walked with him and together, it was a different experience. And then I think about, you know, like cacao ceremonies and um, some of these things we are trying to incorporate into our modern society, knowing that they have been beneficial from, you know, the books, like you're mentioning, and just us knowing that, um, inherently, I think we do. I think we know so much. <laughs> I think we really do. We know so much and tapping into that wisdom is so important. So I don't, I can't imagine anybody would argue that doing these types of more communal collective things would not be beneficial, but it's like, yeah, how do we take a society that is teaching us 
the exact opposite and is working in an antithesis way. How do we do that in this society? Uh, And we we start to find like-minded people is what we do because we're like, okay, who else wants to do this? And then, you know, which is great. We start to just find our own little tribes and hope that it ripples. (laughs) Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. I love this theme that you've brought up, this idea of practicing wellness together. And, you know, community doesn't have to be, community can be the additive, right? When we do yoga together in a big group and we know the people we're doing yoga with and we feel safe to laugh and to fall, like that's a very different experience than just like putting on a YouTube recording and doing yoga or going to a yoga class where you don't know anyone and everyone's super serious and doesn't make eye contact or connect, right? And so I think one big way that I want to implement like this communal wellness into my life is just get wellness buddies and participate in wellness habits together. And for everyone there with you know, a husband or a wife or, or a partner or someone you live with, like that to me is such a hack is doing rituals, doing wellness activities together and holding each other accountable. And then the, the other thing that was coming up was this theme. And we've, we've discussed this before, but I really think we are biased to see wellness as like this individual activity. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm just like seeing my definition of wellness redefined in this podcast episode. And maybe it's not just about like my biomarkers. Maybe, maybe wellness is like a communally defined thing. I mean, the, our neighborhood and our community and how healthy our community is really impacts our individual health. And so maybe like broadening that definition, there's so many companies out there that are just like, it's all about you, me, 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 you know, make yourself healthy and then you'll be healthy with everyone else. And I'm wondering if that keeps people from, you know, participating in more of this uh, human connection and communal wellness practices. Mm. Okay, well, now you've got me all thinking different things too. Um, And not necessarily different, but really it's just starting to question the direction that a lot of medicine is going and, you know, this precision medicine. You know, when I first got out of pharmacy school, gosh, almost 20 years ago, um, it was like just starting. It was just starting where we're like, let's start testing, you know, let's start doing pharmacogenomics and tests, you know, how how that can then guide which medications we should take. And it's like, you know, you're right. If we just take a step back right now, that's the hot thing. Pharmacogen. I mean, I'm, I'm certified in it because I have so many clients on medication that I actually do want to know everything I can possibly know to know if it's, this is not a good medication, but if you just, if we zoom out and I, you know, I think there's so many opportunities in our lives to zoom out. We are so zoomed in. If we just zoom out and look at it as a whole, Yeah. I mean, the reality is we have, we have cancer clusters in neighborhoods because of environmental factors and and lifestyle factors. And we already have illness in clusters. Why aren't we talking about health in clusters and in communities and in collectives and, and wellness and, and how, 
the types of lifestyle factors that you're promoting, um, which is not necessarily let's, you know, check our blood sugar three times a day, but what are we doing together? How are we supporting each other and creating a safe environment? And how is that translating into wellness? And no, that can't be checked by an individual blood test, you know, but maybe there are like, maybe there are clusters of biomarkers like this, this community has a much different collective set of biomarkers than this community. And why is that? And uh, we have a little bit of that, like what you, what the book that you're talking about, we have this knowledge and then like the blue zones, we have some of that knowledge, but I don't, I think mm-hmm. it could be focused on a lot more. Yeah. You know, when we talk about this, I think about the contagion of behaviors And I also think of the contagion of stress and the relationship between, you know, just stress and our biomarkers and like our overall health and our body's ability to heal itself. And I think that when we're defining wellness in a more communal sense, it's like, well, if the people around us are super stressed, like our body reacts to their stress and 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 it 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 affects us and so you know i've often said this but i really think like the social environment is the the like the the default path so like our social environment determines the path that is easiest to take and it encourages certain behaviors in us it encourages our mindset and so who we surround ourselves with i really think is like one of the greatest upstream contributors to our health and happiness and and this is you know also a factor in this kind of communal wellness movement well it's like yeah we can go to the gym we can eat well we can do our biomarkers tests but are our relationships suboptimal and are the, do we have best friends or do we have just people who are kind of complaining and ranting all the time? Um, and maybe it would be more important to, to look at that, those social inputs given the impact and contagiousness of stress. Mm-hmm. Stress is so huge. It's so huge. And when you go to other cultures, half of my family lives in Italy and I go there and like, there's not a single person in my family who's living in any kind of stress and you just don't even (laughs) understand it. You just can't even fathom how does this society live like this? And they live amazingly. That's how they live. Um, Okay. I don't want to not get into more nitty gritty on, on what you're actually doing because, you know, we have had an amazing conversation that I I could literally continue this forever, but at some point... (laughs) At some point we will have to close. Maybe we'll need a part two, but I would love to dive a little bit deeper before we end into the way that you are showing up to these groups of people and showing them a different way and, and a different way of so many things, a different way of communicating with each other in body language and touch and, um, supporting each other and breaking down the barriers of, you know, the, the isolation and very, just every, every man for himself, uh, climbing the ladder and stepping on everybody's hands, you know, how, what are you, what are you doing to shift that? Even if it's just for right now, for this peak experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I, I am 
really trying to change the social norms at a gathering to enable more vulnerable, personal, and emotional human connection. So that is my goal and we can get nitty gritty and I want to introduce just a few terms that your guests can take with them to encapsulate what I'm doing. And when I am leading groups and when I am showing up at a dinner party or a birthday party and facilitating something, like I will often show up to a random party and I will facilitate something for the group and it will change the gathering for everyone. And it will change the gathering for me. I'll get more health benefits from the gathering because I showed up and facilitated something. So I am a facilitator and being a facilitator is the final stage of my practice, which is called biosocial hacking. And it's about changing our social interactions to change our biology. Okay. And the final stage of biosocial hacking is becoming a facilitator. And, and like I'm inviting everyone in this space, listening to this to learn some simple ways to facilitate more meaningful connection and, and to do an activity as a group and to do a meditation at the beginning of a dinner party or do some form of blessing or gratitude. And I, and I, I write about all these different rituals. The final stage of biosocial hacking is becoming a facilitator. And what that enables you to do is step into any social environment where there's a group of people and to increase the health benefits that people can get from each other at that gathering. And how we do that, how we do that is by first uh, role modeling, role modeling the social risk taking that we want to encourage at the event. And then we also facilitate rituals. And rituals is like a culty kind of sorcerer word, but all ritual means is let's come together and do something together instead of just talking. We, we live in this talking, mediated, and intellectual, intellect-obsessed world where the only way that we connect is largely through talking. And talking is not how we access the full health benefits of human connection. We talking is the, the mediator of emotional connection, talking the, the true benefits of talking come from the emotional connection derived from the, the intellect. Okay. And so there are so many other ways that we can connect as groups. We can meditate together. We can eye gaze. We can ask each other the same question over time. We can practice, uh, touch. We can dance together. We can play games together. We can practice authentic relating in a structured format. There's so many ways that we can tap into this deeper emotional connection. And I want to impact people and inspire people to host gatherings and facilitate rituals that provide more health benefits for everyone in the room.
And if you want, if you, if you bring people together, if you have a potluck, if you have a dinner party, if you run meetings at your organization, there's so many more ways that you can facilitate connection than you initially think. And I am inventing those new ways. And eventually I'm going to have basically a, a, a guidebook for how to create like closeness and intimacy and exhilaration regardless of the group. Like I'm creating that guidebook. I love it. Blah, 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 blah. Talk, talk, talk. Look, I'm such a hypocrite. I talked for like 10 minutes. <laughs> I know. Well, I, I wish... mean, I'm not good at sign language. If I knew another language, I would be happy to not talk. In fact, I really want to go to a silent meditation retreat. But for right now, we're yes. going to use talk because it's a podcast. What are we supposed to do? But we're just using the platform that we've got. We will, we will expand. Yeah. So in the time we have, can you um, share maybe one tangible example of what this looks like? Like what one of the things that would be in this guidebook that you will eventually publish for all of us? Yeah. Uh, um, specifically on, on tools, tangible tools. There's a lot of theory to it, like being in a pro-social state and then creating psychological safety, but first creating the safety within yourself to take social risks. Okay, but the tangible tool that I'll offer people who are socializing and attend gatherings or host gatherings, and you want to create a healthier experience for your guests and for yourself, I would simply invite your guests to come together at the beginning, stand in a circle, and if you want, you can have them huddle or you can have them hold hands. And then um, express your gratitude for everyone coming to your event and maybe just invite people into a state of gratitude for the privilege of coming together and being in each other's presence. And just a simple 30-second acknowledgement of, the gra of your gratitude for having these people in the room and also inviting others to exist in that state of gratitude for all the unique beings and all the gifts and all the, um, you know, the, the potential in each human to nourish each other. And, and just like a 30 second shared moment with, with an element of gratitude can completely transform it. And usually I'll have people just look around the room silently. It's a moment of silence and people just look around the room and, and acknowledge each other. And, and just that moment of silence where people can look at each other with this context of gratitude can, can change the rest of the event. Mm -hmm. It is. It's so powerful. The small, the seemingly small shifts are so significant. I think about the alternative, which is what happens sometimes often, like the, the changing of the geometrical shapes, right? Instead of a circle, we just have a line. We just have a long table of people all staring forward. And then we're going to do an icebreaker question. And the icebreaker question is in complete isolation. Like what's your favorite, like enter here, what's your favorite, whatever. And while you know, maybe somebody might be like, oh, that's my favorite too. And that might break down a little bit of barrier. It's still, we're still in a line. We're not looking at each other. We definitely are not in any kind of sense of gratitude. 
you know, we have pen and paper in front of us. And so I think when we think about the extreme differences in how many meetings and conferences are run and what you just described as one, one uh, example of many that you do, there's already a significant difference in the feel of that. So I love it. I'm ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just want to emphasize that we could be training our relational skills just as we train our minds, just as we train our muscles, just as we train our software development skills. And once we start training our skills, our relational skills, then we can socialize much more intentionally. We can tolerate people who are difficult to socialize with, and we can gain health benefits from everyone we interact with. And I just want to leave the guests with this idea of intentional socialization. When we are socializing, remember that human connection, positive human connection, positive relationships, this is the single greatest contributing factor to long-term health and happiness. And so when we keep that in our minds, we become way more intentional with our human connections. And right now, a lot of people are just sleepwalking through their human connections because we've defined wellness as this individual thing. Wellness is not related to how I connect with other people. It's related to me putting in my headphones and going to the gym. And it's related to me doing my silent meditation retreats and like reading books. Like what is so much more important is that we learn how to create joy and peace in others. And then it just translates back to us. Really powerful. Thank you for opening up our hearts to thinking in a different way and like shortening the distance between our mind and our hearts. Cause I think ultimately that's a really important uh, distance that we continue to push further as opposed to bring closer. And then to be able to bring that together is really impactful. So thank you for the work that you're doing. If anybody wants to find out more, it will be in the show notes, but do you want to verbalize it? Where do they find you? So I, I quit social media and I hope that inspires you to do the same. Uh, but yeah, it's the party scientist.com. Fantastic. That's it. You that's all you got. You got no other, no other handles, which I love. I absolutely love that. As opposed to you can find me on all the things I'll be dancing on TikTok. No, I won't be yeah. dancing on TikTok either. So, so Claudia, <laughs> I have a question from you. What is one insight from this podcast? What is something you really liked that you perhaps maybe want to practice in your life now? So I just moved. So it's interesting because this is coming at a time that's really important in my life because we just moved and I don't know anybody here. And I have been really honestly for the last like month. So focused on getting my son in his circles and my husband, you know, in his circles, not that it's all in my hands, but you know, I'm the mom. So I take on that, all that stuff. And, um, and I'm like, you know, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just funneling everybody where they need to go. And what this has actually inspired me to do is to figure out how I can I can find community in my new community sooner than I probably would have otherwise made it a priority. So that's probably what my personal takeaway is. My professional takeaway is how can I, as a, as a patient advocate and, um, somebody who wants to speak on, 
um, you know, larger stages to larger group of groups of people like medical students, like physicians, like people providing care, how can I take this approach? And yes, we are headed towards this very personalized medicine headed towards zooming in. And how can I help the profession not forget to zoom out? Like, it's okay that you want to study that science, but how do we, how do we, um, not forget the other lens of our camera, the other part. So, um, yeah. Zoom out. I love that so much. Yeah. And we're doing this on zoom, but it doesn't <laughs> specify in or out. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jacques, for all of that you've uh, shared today, that all the work that you do and, um, all of the things that you're going to be putting out into the world that I will be following and learning from. And I love it. Thank you, Claudia. What a great way to start the day with some intellectual connection, but it was still really nourishing. I so hope all of you have enjoyed this conversation as much as I did and continue to enjoy as I re-listen. I am inspired to do many things and also do fewer things. I'm inspired to connect more with others on a level that is deeper than what society teaches us. I'm also inspired to talk less, whether that be in everyday conversation or even in interviews on this podcast. So this interview really hit home for me and I hope that it did for you as well. I look forward to connecting with all of you in ways that are outside just being in your earbuds. You can send me a message, a voice message at any time by going to speakpipe.com slash mindingwellness. And you can also just send me an email anytime as well. Claudia at peaceadvocacygroup.com. I would love to hear from you. Would love to hear your takeaways. And as always, I appreciate your feedback on iTunes. Thank you, Jack, for all of your insights and for pouring your heart and soul out to us today. See you here again next time.